You are listening to season three of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Welcome to the Week Pastor Podcast. We're so delighted that you've joined us. I'm Peter Ahn, one of your hosts. And next to me, or not next to me, well, next to me on Zoom is Sue Huang. <laughs> Sue, how are you doing today? Wait, you, you changed well? that up, and I, I'm very thrown off right now because you're yeah, supposed to I do that thought, whole you know spiel what? about. You no, know, I've been listening to our podcast. I'm I've been delighted. What do you say? We are delighted that you are here. Isn't yeah, that what delighted. you're supposed to say? Well, we, could, we could change things up. But I have, I have a, I'm just wondering, what, what, what is, you're wearing an interesting shirt of a musician. You don't who know who this is? It's no. Johnny Cash. Why do you, why do you have a Johnny Cash t-shirt? I love Johnny Cash. Wondering. I love Johnny Cash. Why do you Cash. love Johnny Cash? I even went to the Johnny Cash Museum when I went to Nashville. Are, are you serious? You're into Johnny Cash? Yeah, yeah. Oh Why God, do you that's... say that as if that's such a weird thing? Plenty of Dude, people. The guy is, I mean, it's it's like you're not, you should be like 70 years old if you like Johnny Cash, not like when you're a millennial. Uh, Johnny Millennials Cash don't like Johnny timeless. Cash. Johnny Cash is timeless. Johnny. Oh also, I bought this shirt from American Eagle. I just want to say, do you think that that's somewhere where people who are 70 shop? <laughs> Clearly, it's tailored to a demographic that is no, at least no, no. as old. At least. I don't know. As me. Come on. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. This about is that. like um, you know how like there's this new trend. It's not a new trend, but there's like a newish trend where all these kids are wearing band t-shirts, but a lot of them don't know a single song from the actual band. Mm. Like did you like people are wearing like shirts to say like Nirvana, but yeah. like I'm like, you're yeah. you're 13, like you definitely don't know who Nirvana is. Yeah. Do you yeah. know who Nirvana is? <laughs> Me? Yeah. Of course I know. No, I don't know. You Maybe you were me? only listening to like, you know, Hillsong or something. I don't know. I was, but I mean, I thought Nirvana was great. I mean, I really loved you Nirvana. You are not. Too. Come on. You are not. You are not a Nirvana No, guy. I was. I, like I told not. you, I was into rock. I was into rock was my music, my genre of music. I, I was so into yeah, Christian Halen, rock. Mm, like Amy Grant. No, Striper. <laughs> no, Amy Grant is not a rock person. What, Petra? Okay? Like Petra are we talking about? I did hear Petra praise once in a while. <laughs> But Stri- do you remember Striper? Do you remember Striper? I remember Striper. That is a Christian rock band. That's a great Christian rock band. But I was into Van Halen. Uh, I mean, yeah, Bon Jovi. You name it. I mean, I like Motley Crue. I was yeah, but I feel like that's guys. still different because Nirvana is a, a lot darker. Like yeah. Nirvana is very angsty and yes, like, yes, very yes, yes, yes. moody. And, you know. But you know what? They're not heavy metal. I wasn't I was never really into heavy metal like Metallica, Megadeth, those guys. Uh, Judas Priest. I was never really into those groups. I was into more like just hard rock, you know. And I would still consider Nirvana to be like a hard rock. So more. I than guess like so. It's very like, but it's grunge. Like it's very grunge. Yes, rock, grunge. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. to me, that's that's my kind of music. I like listening to music like that. So I'm into it. So anyway, you know how, before we finish, we, we before we started recording, you were just telling me how I'm like the most unrelatable person. And actually, this might be true because I I I think Nirvana has great music, but I ne- personally never jived with their music because um it's too angsty. Like it's very moody and angsty. Yeah. And those are not emotions that I am very um familiar <laughs> with. <laughs> Like, so audience, you need to realize what I told her before we came, before we started recording. I said, you are, yeah, what I, I did, women just can't identify with you. Like you are just one of the most unrelatable people. And I bet you, I said, I bet you your friends silently want something bad to happen to you. I think like, not that they want so it, not that they mean. wish it, but That's I think so in mean. some ways, like I think in some ways that if something bad happened to you, like something bad, I think that they would be like, maybe like relieved a little bit. That's, I don't know. That's I don't messed know. up. Because <laughs> like, that's, is listen, this friend you? 
Listen, when you say are you, these friends, is this you? Listen, are you the no, one no, no, not that? me, not me, not me, not me. But like you have a great marriage, mm-hmm. you know, uh, living well in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you in have Ohio. A farm That's the there. paradox. I'm living well, but in you, Ohio. No, no, Ohio's fine. <laughs> Buckeye, Buckeye State. Uh, you, you know, you have great kids. Uh, you're always happy, upbeat. You love the holiday season. I love I mean, you are such the an unrelatable season. person. I don't think, PP, there's a reason why all of these big um, corporations, like these vendors, like deck out their places for the holidays, like starting in like end of October. Yeah, it's because people love the holidays. If they didn't like the holidays, why would they do that? Why would they be blasting a lot of people like come Emmanuel into my face no. when I go to the supermarket <laughs> in like October? A lot of people don't people like the like holidays. Anyway. No, I, there, there are some people that do yes but there are also a lot of people that do not like the holidays so and you know that we'll, we'll, we'll dedicate an episode to that in the future but anyway so uh let's get to our question let's get actually to the question that, that was a good ask. segue to the question because my Is question oh, yeah, yeah yeah um my question okay. was actually um what qualities do you look for when you're looking for good friends um, and my oh. quality is I will say what I'm not looking for is a friend who wants me to fail badly. So they're relieved. That's <laughs> okay, not that, what I'm looking th- for. That might be my answer for you, but you need to, you need to answer that question legit, right? You got to answer that question legit. So what is so, it? Yeah, what go ahead. No, no. So I asked the question, um, why do you need time to think about it? Is that what why? do I look for in a friend? Yeah. Hmm. Like, what are the qualities that you think yeah. kind of maybe form the common denominator of like all of your friendships of or what friends, are some things that you really... Um, value in your friends uh so for me i would so like i I think one of the things that people don't realize that i actually don't have that many friends like i'm not the type of person that have a ton of friends i don't i have i got a handful of very close friends okay hold on hold on on. okay pause why are you looking at me with disgust no no, i am twice as big because PP, like every other like month, you're going on vacation like with a friend, and also yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe you're no, that's once I was again, on sabbatical. You're like I think you're comparing your your quantity of friends to like maybe the quantity of friends that like college kids maybe have, but I don't. You, you know all this. You should know this. You've talked about this. Like all the studies show that, yeah. especially men in a certain age bracket, like your age bracket, they don't have close friendships. So yes, compared true. to those that's numbers, true. you actually okay. have a pretty good Let me good rephrase. Number. Let me rephrase. I yeah, don't have a lot of do. I don't have a lot of social friends, you know, because mm-hmm. I think I think men in general have a lot of social friends, friends they can yeah, watch games true. with and stuff. Yeah. I don't have a lot of that. I have a wealth, a wealth, but they're a handful of just really close friends. And and what I look for in those people are are, are people that are willing to be vulnerable with me. And I Likewise, would like to be vulnerable with them as well. Like that to me is one of the most important things that I look for in a friend. Somebody who's willing to be vulnerable, but yet is not so needy. Okay. So that's important too. Like just, just not like where's, you know, like they have like they're holding the umbilical cord and they're just <laughs> waiting to like stick it in you, right? Not not that's a that strange kind. visual. It, it's you know, you know how you so really people visual. like that. Like they have the umbilical cord, they just want to like stab you with it. It's like on, we're not connected. Like, suddenly I've got like a visual of like Avatar, you know, with like the tails like yes. stuck together. Yes, yes, <laughs> you yes. Know yes, what I'm talking yes about? Exactly. Yeah, okay. It's just, you know, not that, but just somebody who's willing to be open, vulnerable, but I just, you know, in that sense, willing to really give me like just the truth. Like love me enough to give me truth, speak truth into my life. That to me is big. Uh, the other one, the other aspect is, I mean, just humor. Humor. I just, you know, mm-hmm. like I just, I love being friends with folks who are just hilarious. They just make me laugh. And my closest friends are, 
I mean, they're comedians. They could be stand-up comedians. So <laughs> anyway, so uh, we laugh, uh, travel together, do life together. And then I guess for me, because I'm in ministry, I love ministering with with uh, my friends. And like in some ways we can minister together. And so like travel the world, see what God's doing. And we minister together and stuff like that. I think that's a lot of fun. So that's kind of what I look for. Um, I, I, I tell you, you know, it's uh, a friend, a true friend for me is somebody who is willing to share their networks, their resources, <laughs> Like they just want the best for me, like they just do, and that they celebrate my my wins, um, and they lament, you know, things that might be going wrong or bad in my life. Like those are like true friends for me, because uh, I know that there are people who have friends where you know, like they don't even share resources, connections, networks, and things like that. And I just don't feel like that's a true friend. And like if you have a friend and they need something and you can potentially help them with that. Why wouldn't you do it? Like, why wouldn't you connect them to somebody that maybe they can, you know, uh, connect well with? And yeah. So anyway, yeah. So, oh, oh, and the last thing. See, this is why I need to think about this for a little bit. I don't like friends. Like, I like a friend who's not possessive. Do you know are what I mean? Possessive friends are 50. Come on, man. No, I'm genuinely asking. Absolutely. Absolutely. What does that I even look What does that look like? I think there is. It's just, you know, they get, you know, they potentially. So I don't know. I don't have friends like that, but I do know that there are people who get jealous and they're like, what are you doing? Like, why are you hanging out just with this person? And yeah, but just generally happy that I'm, you know, that, that, that I'm not possessive. And that happens, man. People sometimes get a little possessive, you know, of their friends and they don't want to share and stuff like that. And it's like, I'm not your property. You know, kind of. I'm literally so, trying to imagine what a bunch of like what a possessive like forty something, fifty something year old man friend would even look like. Like that's such a weird visual. Yeah. Like, no, Peter is my best friend. Like, yeah, yeah, looking, yeah, like, yeah. What, that well, people people get jealous. They're just like, well, you know, all. Well, I mean, listen, we live in a broken world. People, are, you know, do broken things, and sometimes, you know, like we only have a finite amount of time during our lives, right? And so, if there's another person, and like. You know, somebody might end up getting a little jealous, saying, "Man, you you are spending a lot of time with this person, but what about me?" That kind of thing. So, you know, for me, I know I'm not like that. Like when my good close friends meet other people, like I want them to have close friendships with other folks. I want them to find other soulmates and stuff like that. Uh, so for me, I like there's there's no jealousy or anything like that. It's just no, it's fine. You know, so I don't like friends who are kind of possessive or like saying, "Hey, you're my friend. Don't forget, you we're 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 like really we're like best friends." That kind of stuff. So I don't like possessive type people. So, so funny. It's so I, funny. No, yeah, I, I'm like I'm because I don't remember the last time a friend was like possessive over me. I, I, I think like in the twenties, uh, really? no, like no, in our twenties. But I feel uh, like listen, at this point, I share something, but I won't. That I, I mean, experienced. I saw something happen with you with somebody. You know, um, at Metro. So let's listen, not, let's not I think names. it happens a lot more. I think names. it potentially can happen a lot more with women than with men. No, that's sure. true. That's that's yeah. definitely true. That's yeah. why I was like, it's so kind that's of funny why to imagine I think for like, you, it's, it's probably happened um, a lot more for you than it has for me. Yeah, except it doesn't work out very well for that friend because something right. that I'm sure our listeners know about me is that I'm very obtuse when it comes to like noticing cues. I have like, you know, no ability to notice like social cues sometimes. So when people are upset or getting upset, I just don't. Like it doesn't register, yeah. you know, yeah. so it just kind of goes over my head. Um, but so, I mean, you know, it's interesting because um, when I was in college and maybe even like I would say before kids, um, mm. my bar for 
just hanging out with friends was much lower in the sense that, you know, if they wanted to hang out with me and I had time, which I usually did because I don't have any kids, um, I would hang out with them. And like, yeah. it was fine. Like we would go eat lunch or we would go eat dinner. Or we'd go, you know, have coffee. You never had a single movie, white female type of, type of incident? What is that? You ever watch that movie, Single Wife Female? No. Oh, man. That's a great movie. What is that? Great movie. Uh, it's basically these this roommate and and she it was Jane Fonda's um uh daughter that was in it. I forget her name. What what was it? what's Jane Fonda's daughter's name? Last name Fonda. Bridget Fonda. Bridget Fonda. Bridget oh yeah, Fonda yes. Name. Okay, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, she basically had a roommate. Uh, they start living together. They got close. The roommate started looking like her, dressing like her, cutting her hair like <laughs> no, her. No, that has never happened. And then like like the movie, I I, I watched it a long time ago. Then she started getting violent towards the people that uh, that wanted to be her friend, and so and it just it was a it was a crazy movie. And she it started killing horrific. people. And stuff like no, that. that has never. But but I'm just saying, like that that happens many times. Sometimes not not like that. But people get jealous. <laughs> that and they degree? get possessive. They get angry. You know um, and stuff like that. So well, I mean, maybe it did. I just didn't notice. <laughs> But I noticed I, for you. Okay, yeah. But like, yeah. yeah, so I had a lot of like, quote unquote, friends that I would just hang out with. And then what something interesting that happens, um, if you're somebody who does end up getting married and having kids is a lot of those relationships start getting weeded out just by natural selection of yeah. stage of life, you know, because then you end up realizing you only have a certain limited amount of time to hang out with certain people outside of your family. And you mm -hmm. really start prioritizing which friendships um, you kind of want to invest in and it really right. makes you think about um so my standard for it has become this sounds so selfish but it's like is this friendship adding some level of value to my life yeah. and when i say value i don't necessarily mean like a monetary value or like a social network value but i'm talking about like if i hang out with you do i walk away feeling like you know what i feel refreshed like i feel like i laughed like i feel like i had a good time or you know am i walking away feeling like i got some really good Drained. advice or i'm feeling i got yeah. really um i really thought about some things that i haven't thought about or this person okay. really confronted me with some yeah. truth like yeah. and i do think when I was younger, I had a much more idealistic, maybe utopian view of what a friendship should look like, meaning one friend for me should be all of those things. And sometimes yeah. you do get lucky and find a friend that is multifaceted in all of those mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes one person cannot be all of those things for mm -hmm. you. You know, like I have a friend who gives me great advice, but she's not like the most fun person, mm -hmm. you know, um, versus I have a friend who's like super fun, but also doesn't always give me the best advice. And mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. you have to kind of think about, you know, obviously you want your friends to have certain common um, fundamental values with you so that you can kind of yeah. um, align in that way. But I also have realized like I can't expect every single one of my friends to be every single thing that I'm looking for in a person because even my husband mm -hmm. can't do that for me. You know, like right. even my husband can't be everything and meet every single expectation for me. Um, so, yeah, I think that really just broadly speaking, I just need my friend to add something positive of value to me. Yeah. Um, and I think those my super, super. I want to say my super, super needy friends who can't handle a friendship that does not reciprocate that amount of. the I don't know, fulfilling of that neediness have weeded themselves out naturally because they just would have been like, I can't do this friendship anymore because you're not giving yeah. me what I need. And then the yeah. ones that have remained, I think are the ones that maybe, maybe the friendships were, the people were needy, as you say, quote unquote, but 
it's more like I'm they're living with it because I can't like I just cannot yeah be the same that's right kind of person that I was in my 20s right. you know I'm not yeah. available in that way especially because I moved away now right so yeah um but yeah good yeah all right nice wow yeah okay. but humor is something that is very important to me and I will say humor, I hung yeah. out with somebody um recently ish and I literally said to John I said John I hung out with this person for two and a half hours. I, I did not laugh one time. Like I did not laugh one time. Oh, um, and oh, I actually even told my friend Jenshin, who was once a guest on this show, like back in season one. And she said to me, but Sue, you laugh at everything. I was like, exactly. I was like, that's exactly my point. <laughs> I laugh at too... pretty much everything. So my question to you is, why did you spend two and a half hours with that person? Then, <laughs> Why would you spend two and a half hours with that person? Well, they, they asked That's a me, long time. They, they were like a recent transplant. And they were okay. kind of like, you know, and I was trying to oh, okay. get into the new place and ministering. You know, okay. To, yeah. But it was, it was oh. not fun. It was a sacrifice. You had to pick was, up the cross and follow Jesus for those it two was, and a half it hours. It was, um, it was, it was not fun. <laughs> yeah. When people are so serious, I, I it's didn't tough. Laugh one time in two and a half hours, not one time. How is that <laughs> even possible? That's, you know? Yeah. That's almost impossible. Yeah, I mean, at least you, you me. I'm sure you smiled though, right? You smiled. Because you smile a lot. I don't know, but I, I I don't know, but I'm just saying I didn't laugh one time, and I I, I towards like the middle of it, it dawned on me that I hadn't yeah. laughed one time. So then I started becoming aware of like, will I laugh during the remainder of this time? And I did not. That's funny. Oh man, I can't yeah. believe that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so guys, if you want to be Sue's friend, you gotta make her laugh. You and have it's not to make hard. It's not difficult. <laughs> I'll usually laugh at my own jokes. You know, but you no. know, I, I find that to be so. F I I I laugh at people when they when they say a joke and they're just so entertained by it. <laughs> but yet, it's not funny. Like I'm just Wait, like, it's on. not are you, funny. Is, is I don't you know subtly you're telling me something so. about myself right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, my sister-in-law is like that. My sister-in-law Michelle, when she tells a joke. She is the only one laughing. She is cracking <laughs> up. Saying this in public. Yeah, and 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 we all look at it. We're like, it's not that funny. And my daughter Christina is the same way. She'll tell a joke and <laughs> she will cry laughing. And I'm just like, honey, it's not that funny. I don't What's know why. Mean? You're why can't you just laugh? I just, it's just not that funny. I don't know, but anyway, but anyway, I think there's something cute about that too. When somebody just like they're so thoroughly entertained by their own jokes. Like they just entertain this. I, I find that to be kind of cute and you know, weird because I think it's hilarious. Like, wow, I can't believe like you entertain yourself like this. I think that somebody has gone to too many stand up comedy shows and has assigned themselves <laughs> the title of laugh police listen, because listen. you know what? <laughs> Not I mean, what? maybe it's funny and you just no, don't my think friends, it's funny. Yo, my friends are so funny. All right. So I got to say this one thing then we'll get to what we're talking about today. Okay. So. You know, one of my close friends is Alex G. And the guy is literally one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And we were playing spades. So have you ever played a game of no. spades? Mm -mm. Okay, so so this is uh, basically spades is played by the black community, right? And so I went on a 60th birthday trip to Mexico before I came back from sabbatical. We went to Mexico and in the evenings we would play spades, okay? And so it was me. It was uh, Alex, of course, two other black friends of his, and one white guy. And it was so funny because one of the great things about spades, it's, it's the best card game I've ever played. 
you can trash talk as you're as you're like playing the game. It's just so much fun. And so this one guy, the white guy, he was like, he was throwing down the cards and he was like dancing before, like he would like, because we had music on. So he was like so happy. He was just kind of dancing and stuff. But like, he was so like, it was, the dancing was bad. Like the dancing was so bad. And so we're putting cards down Then Alex puts down a queen and it's a pretty decent hand in spades. He puts down a queen and this guy puts down, you know, a card that beat it. And he just looked at Alex and he goes, you ever imagine your queen being eaten up like that? And then Alex turns to him and he says, it's so funny. He goes, you ever imagine being on beat? <laughs> so uh, I was crying. No. But it was so, it does, we were just trash talking. So it was just all trash talking. But I'm telling you, he said that with such a straight face. I was laughing for about 15 minutes, like like just my stomach was hurting because it was just genius comedy. So those are like my friends. Like, that's why it's like, man, I got friends that just make me laugh like that. It's just so funny. But I anyway, just think the way you have said, a very specific strain of um, humor <laughs> because even I mean, for example, like I've never met a person who likes stand up comedy as much as you do. Anytime any guest comes comedy. into from yes. like another state to come I visit you, you take them comedy. to like Comedy Cellar or wherever yes. that is. And yes. I remember every time I would get into your car, it would be like satellite radio, like laugh channel, like comedy channel. Yes. I'm like, you yes. are out of control. Like I have never met anybody who listens to this no, much but you know, comedy. Do you know how hard it is to make people laugh? And so like when you catch a comedian who just can make you cry, I mean, that's that's truly a gift. And so I'm going to give a gift to all of you right now. Okay. Those who live in the New York, New Jersey area, I'm not a comedy show. If you want to just have a great laugh for like two and a half hours, I want to encourage you to go watch the Broadway play Shucked. S-H-U-C-K-E-D. Like oysters? Like shucking an oyster? Shucking corn. Oh. Like you shuck the corn. Oh. And I want to highly... And if you and John ever come to New York again, if there's one play you got to watch, you got to go watch that. It is so I know. Funny. I mean, maybe I should be saying this to our, you know, to our audience and like listeners over here. But I remember there was one time you were... I think this was off air and you were like... I'm not going to say which pastor you went with, but you were like... Uh, me and this other pastor we went to go watch Ali Wong and you were like and you know Suba she was like really raunchy and I'm like yeah. yes PP have you never watched Ali Wong before no 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 I've, I've watched her before but no 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 like when you watch her Netflix special and then I watched her like live at this event in, in Denver um it was a different level of but her Netflix just... shows are usually recordings of her live shows. Yeah, I know, but but she just had a dark raunchiness that I just didn't I don't like. know. It was just, I was, it was just I awful. even literally said to John, I said, John, do you know what PP said to me? He said he was very surprised because he went to go watch Ali Wong and she was raunchy. <laughs> like I don't understand. <laughs> like that's right, so, that's her actual like thing is you, like she's raunchy. I am telling you. Money back guaranteed. You will have it's it's better than any comedy show I've ever been to. That 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 uh that Broadway play. Right, I fine. laugh more in that than the. Right, have fine. you seen the Book of Mormons? Yes, yes. Did you think that was funny? I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was that good. What Book yeah. of Mormons was hilarious. Yeah, it was good, but I don't know. It was I don't know. You know, maybe we just have different senses of humor. Okay. All right. Well then, well then, you know what? You may not like it, but Shucked was funnier than Book of Mormons. It was so great. I think it was so fine. I, I think it's because I had such high expectations because the Book of Mormon was like so 
um, viral, like you know. You know so. what? Maybe the reason why Shuck was even more funny for me is because I had no expectations. expectations yeah, going maybe. into it. I was like, maybe. I just hope it's not boring. And I, I mean, it won a Tony this year. I mean, I just I couldn't stop laughing. It was. I think so it's very funny. difficult to perform, especially something like that under the pressure of like high expectations. Like if you go into something being like, oh, this is going to be yeah. so funny. It's very hard. Yeah. This woman that was sitting that next to me, level. she just like after like, you know, during intermission, she goes, I just want to say I really love sitting next to you. I'm like, why? She goes, because when you laugh, it's so contagious. I'm like, really? I was like, this is hilarious. I mean, it's just so funny. But anyway, I mean, so OK, OK, anyway. I will put it on. I don't know when we're coming back, but I'll put okay. it on my but thing. Audience, if you want to go watch a good Broadway show, inspiring, it's hilarious, but it's also really inspiring. It's a musical. It's a musical. It's really great. Um, It's my favorite. It's my favorite musical. Uh, I highly encourage you guys to go watch Shocked. I actually watched that with a pastor. He spoke at our summer retreat, uh, Pastor Kevin Butcher. He and his wife are so into Broadway shows, and they did their research, and they said, Peter, can you get these tickets? And I was like, sure, I'll do it. And I, and I ended up getting the tickets, and I was blown away how good it was. So anyway, so I highly recommend Shocked. But we need to get to what we want to talk about know, because we've been like, talking way too much about like, Friends, long? Broadway shows, comedies, <laughs> and things like that. So what we want to do today is we want to talk about how do you, have you ever doubted God? Like, have you ever doubted your Christian faith? And I just think that uh, in the church and even in Christian spaces, we we it, I don't know if we really have a uh, we feel like there's a safe place for us to really express that. And so, how do we deal with our doubts? Like, what 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 happens, and 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 how should we deal with our doubts? Um, I think that's kind of what we want to talk about. And so, Sue, I want to just kind of ask you, like, have you ever had a moment in your life where you actually sincerely doubted God? Like you thought, I don't know if God is real here. Like, I just don't know. Like, I just grew up in church. You know, I just kind of blindly believed. But is God real? Is he really real? Kind of a thing. So have you ever had one of those moments? Uh, this is going to be one of those times when I'm super unrelatable again. Okay, why? No, because I, okay, so... I have moments of doubting whether God is real or not all the time. Like, I mean, like all the time. It's like really? thoughts that enter my brain, like out of nowhere, I am suddenly gripped with this paralysis, like this fear of like, it's not real. Because sometimes you read the Bible and it sounds completely bonkers. I mean, it's like, what? I mean, have you ever uh -huh. have you ever read the descriptions of what angels are supposed to look like? Like, have you ever read Revelations and all of these horrible, scary yeah. images? Yeah. I'm like, this literally sounds like some kind of literature that like a horror literature that somebody wrote. Like, it sounds completely crazy. And then when I try yeah. to read it from like a logical place, I literally I'm like, this is this ain't real. Like, th okay. this this is BS. Like, no, this is crazy. And then suddenly I'm like, why have I been tithing all those years? Like, all my money down the drain. Like, this is not real. We're, when we die, it's just we're dead. This is it. This is it. Like, it's not real. And I, I go through the cycle okay. frequently. That's good. Um, however, by the grace of God, here's where I become unrelatable. It never. Wait, so how long does that last usually? Is it just a thought and then you snap out of it? Yes. Or does it last for hours no, or does no, no, it last no, no. for days? No, it's it's literally like a thought that just enters my mind. And okay. suddenly I start like spiraling for a few minutes and then I'm okay. recalibrated. Fascinating. Yeah. And That's it happens all the time. Like I get these like at least every other month. Like I had these what? random moments where I'm like, I don't know, is this real? Because it sounds, it sounds so, I'm so incredulous. Like it's just, some of this just, and I think some of it is because I'm such a, I'm a very logical yeah. oriented person. And so yeah. um, going back to the whole, like me being unrelatable, um, 
I don't know why you keep bringing that up. No, but because yeah. it's funny that you say that because I, you know, I have two daughters and they're not anywhere near really like puberty age. But I think about what that's going to be like because recently Lila, my older daughter, bought my husband for his birthday a mug and it said, "You can't scare me. I have two daughters." Um, and I was like trying, kind of like, what does that mean? Um, and I guess it, it means that girls. Yeah, what does are, that mean? I think it's because like girls are very hard to raise. I mean, that's what I, I don't know. That's I what that's I imagine. Op- no, I think boys are much harder. No, to but raise I think girls. it's because during their teen years, they're crazy and super hormonal. I mean, that's what I just assumed. I'm not sure. But basically, I'm not a very moody person. And I've asked, I even asked yeah. my mom, like, what was I like? Because I've been thinking about what my kids are going to be yeah. like and to prepare myself. So I was like, mom, like, like, oh, my, like, what was I like? And yeah. During yeah. puberty, and she literally was like, "What puberty?" <laughs> she like, yeah, never. She's like, "You've never had like." I mean, physically, I went through puberty, but she was like, "I literally don't remember you being ever hormonal yeah. or moody because I've just not like that." So that's why when I read Bible texts, sometimes like it just if it doesn't make sense to me, I really just don't. I feel very. Oh my gosh, this makes no sense. Like, how mm. could I believe this? Like, this makes no sense. It's so then, completely so- bonkers. <laughs> So then how do you snap out of it then? How do you snap out of it? It's going to be a real quick podcast for me. So basically the way I snap <laughs> out of it, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what how I do snap do out of it'll it. be over. We can pray and okay. end. Um, so, have you, so have you ever um, really tried to explain the gospel to somebody? Obviously, yes, you're a pastor. That's a rhetorical question. Yeah. Um it sounds absolutely bad as crazy. Like when I try to, if, if you take somebody who's never been exposed to Christian philosophy or Christian ideals, yeah. like the Virgin Mary, like all these things, and you try to explain to them just as a story, yeah, the Bible story of Jesus, yeah. it sounds completely bonkers. And yeah. I think in a way we've become desensitized to how crazy that story is because we grew up not only in the context of Christian, a lot of us grew up in like churches, but also America has a lot of like Christian um, iconography and like Christian kind of narratives in like a lot of their Mm. um, just their history and like whatever. And so it doesn't hit us as completely weird because we grew up kind of breathing the air of it. But if you really took somebody who was, had never encountered the story of Jesus and you tell them, like what we believe, it's absolutely crazy. Okay. Mm. But somehow, if you ask me, do you believe that this young virgin Mary was actually got pregnant by the Holy Spirit without having sexual intercourse and gave birth to a God child? And then that child grew up, died, and then came back to life in three days without like rotting or anything? And then now he's like sitting in heaven. Somehow I believe it. This is the crazy part of it. Like, why do I believe it? I don't know. But if you really said, do you really believe that? I can genuinely say to you, yes, I 100% believe that. Um, And I think therein lies this mystery of like faith for me. Because Mm. as I said, I'm a very logical person. I usually like data. I, I can't really, I don't make very risky decisions. I'm very risk averse. I don't leap to things mm-hmm. unless like I have the data, but somehow this hits me as like, I genuinely believe this. Um, yeah. And I think that that's kind of, for me, it's man, do I believe it though? Yeah, I still do. I still do. And you know what? Let's go to you because I have some other things to say, but I think you yeah. should. Kind of- well, Sue, I just think you're so relatable now. 
I oh, think you just okay. made yourself Great. incredibly relatable Great. because I think there's so many Christians that doubt. Um, and you know, and they sort of uh go back to you know, kind of recorrecting themselves in a certain way and uh, like what you just shared. And so I think you just became a lot more relatable. So anyway, uh, so for me, uh, I would say the only time I actually really doubted God, and it was a time when I was in high school, um, my parents had uh, just um, spent like their life savings to transform. Like they used to have like a gift store, a gift shop in, in 96th Street on Broadway in New York City. They sold like sneakers and stuff like that, shoes and you know, wigs and like whatever. My mom and dad did whatever they could to make money. And what happened was is that they spent like their life savings as well as like they borrowed money from their friends to convert that store into a jewelry store. And um, and so we were really excited about that because we thought, okay, well, here it is. Here's our chance. Maybe we'll have some money now. And uh, we'll we'll be able to you know get out of this like poverty lifestyle because you know it was five of us and we lived in a two bedroom like apartment on East Harriet Avenue in Palisades Park. I mean it was just you know it was just like you know that's kind of like where we were economically. So I was just actually excited about it. I was like, okay, here we go. This could be a a, a start. And you know people buy a, a gold bracelet, they're going to spend hundreds of dollars. So this is a good thing. And, you know, I remember I'd like every, every day my parents would come home and I'd be like, Hey, how'd it go? Do we make money? How, how much money we make and stuff like that. And one time, um, I was, uh, I, I was trying to like, I like to, one of the things I like to do is like when they come home, they have to walk like three flights of stairs. And so I went up one flight of stairs. So as they're walking up, I can just come down and mm -hmm. ah, I like to scare them sometimes. And I did that one time and, and this was the time I did it. And I went, ha, huh? and they just had the look of death on their face, face. And I was like, what happened? And they just said, we got robbed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these guys, three guys came in. We had bulletproof windows, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, bulletproof glass over the, you know, in, in the shop. But it wasn't, um, I don't think the guy who installed it did it right because they were so able to jump over it and go to where my mom and dad were and they were held up at gunpoint and my father was being, you know, hit, you know, uh, he was being beaten up by these two guys. And then my mother, the guy was, the other guy was just grabbing all the jewelry and, you know, they had a button to press to call the cops if something like this would happen. And, you know, I think they paid money for that and they pressed it and nothing happened. And so, yeah, you know, so, you know, the, the other guy, he was taking all the jewelry and my mother was trying to stop him you know, and stuff like that. And he had a gun. And so, you know, my mother doesn't care. She's just like, you're not taking our life savings. So she was just, she kept fighting him, trying to take it. And then he ended up hitting her. So then, then she couldn't, you know, she couldn't get it back up. So they took everything. And I remember like when my parents told me that, and they're like, we have nothing, man, I went into my room, not, yeah, I went into my room and I was livid. I was so angry. And I just said, you know, like I literally cursed God. And I said, you're, there's no way you're real. There's no way you're real. And that's kind of that moment of just really doubting that God even existed. And so, yeah, so that for me was like that time uh, for me. It was a really hard season. I don't know if I was in high school. Maybe I was in middle school. I was like in seventh, eighth grade or something like that. I don't exactly remember the time frame of that, but it was a real dark period. And so I legitly doubted God at that moment and said, you know what? There's no way. Like, you know, we were, my parents were trying to really be good, you know, Christ followers. They tied in the church you know, and stuff like that. I didn't really attend church regularly. So, you know, I was kind of like the black sheep of the family at the time. 
But uh, but I was just so angry with God. And I was just trying to find somebody to blame, uh, to blame, and I think that was God at that moment. So I think that was really the last time I actually really doubted God. So anyway, yeah. So that was my experience. So that was my. I think experience. there's like you know as you're talking, um, and I know you've shared this story before when we talked about like um. I don't know which episode it was, but it, I mean, it's such a terrible thing to happen, especially to a kid in um, their teens. You know, it really mm -hmm. kind of, I think, um, shocks the system of like, what is it that I actually believe about God and our yeah. relationship to God and what he owes us or what our expectations are. Um, and it's so interesting because there's obviously the kind of doubt that I have, which is more like, oh, this doesn't make sense. Like, is this for real? Like, what if we all die? And like, that's it. And yeah. then there's a the kind of doubt that I think happens when you're confronted with a reality that was not what you had expected yeah. um, of God. And so something very interesting. Um, I always, you know what? I realized I need to stop saying something very interesting because maybe it's not very interesting. Something yeah. I find <laughs> very interesting. Um, so, you know, the story. Okay. So, you know, the story, um, not a story, the testimony of John the Baptist and, the beginning of John, the book of John, um, okay. which, by the way, embarrassingly, for a long time, I thought that was actually is very confusing. I don't know why John has to talk about John the Baptist and just refer to him as John. It's so confusing. I'm like, which John are we talking about? It's I think so, a lot of people were con are confused. It's so about confusing. That, so but anyways, yeah. um, so, you know, there's this whole part where um, John the Baptist is um, sees Jesus coming from afar. And he says, mm. behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Right. Yeah. And he's basically saying that whole eloquent, very moving spiel about like, I'm not even fit to untie this, you know, the laces on his sandals, like yeah, yeah, he came yeah. before me. And then there, you know, he talks about his testimony of like how he baptized him and he saw the spirit actually descend on him mm -hmm. and all of that. I always in my mind just assumed that was after John the Baptist being imprisoned and sending his followers in Matthew, you know, in Matthew, where, where mm -hmm. he sends his followers to ask if Jesus is actually mm -hmm. the one who is to come or should we look for another? Like somewhere yeah. in my mind, I just assumed it was a, the chronology of it was that he first asks, like he's imprisoned and then he has that testimony. But then I realized that makes absolutely no sense because yeah. that's where he dies, right? Yeah. Like in the prison. Yeah. So that yeah. then the only way that could have happened is if he's asking that after he already saw all these things happen am i correct what but but john knew in his mother's womb elizabeth he knew jesus was the son of god right, right? Jumped but, out. yeah but when he's imprisoned right yeah. ab about to face execution he yeah. sends his followers in matthew i think it's like chapter yeah. 10 maybe he asks his followers to go ask him are you really the messiah like are you the one we've been waiting for or should we look for somebody yeah. else and that was so weird for me when i realized that that actually happens after because i was like what do you mean like you literally are the one who said this is behold the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world like what is going on and then i re like and then it made me realize like he he's doubting He's he's yeah. asking like, wait, have I been wrong? Why mm -hmm. am I in prison right now? Like, I thought you were coming to bring about everything we've been expecting for well, thousands you know, of years. In hindsight, you know, John, John the Baptist was just like a you know a typical Jew. They they had visions of Jesus being like the Messiah to conquer right. 
you know, the Roman Empire and things like that. So obviously, you know, that's probably what he he envisioned Jesus to be. He didn't know that Jesus was going to die. On the exactly. Cross. So his yeah. expectation yeah. of what the Messiah yes. was yes. going to come about yes. was definitely yes. did not, I'm sure, include him being mm-hmm. thrown in a jail cell waiting for execution. So, so, sure so how are you going to connect this to doubting? Like, are you saying that if John the Baptist can doubt, then we all can doubt? Is that what you're saying? Well, no. So, yes. But also, I think a lot of times the doubt comes when we have maybe misaligned expectations yes. of what we expect God yes. to do in our yes, lives. Yes, 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 and I yes. think that's the doubt, right? Is like, yeah. you know, I was thinking about this because um, I don't know if you heard, it was actually on the news, but there was a school bus that recently got into a huge accident here in Ohio, in Columbus, um, a mm. school bus carrying, it was like a Greyhound carrying a bunch of high school kids for like a band festival, got rear-ended by a truck. Oh, I did hear about that. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And actually one of the girls was John's patient. Um, John was on call that day. So he had to oh, treat crap. one of the patients. And I just, and three kids died, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of yeah. people got injured. And it was just really horrific injuries. Yes, right? yes, yes. And I remember like him telling me that night after he came home about what happened to like these kids. And I remember thinking, like, would I believe, like, would I believe God if something like this happened to my kids? Like, mm. if I was sending my kid on a, but like a bus to go to like this great festival. And then they just out of nowhere, like my 17 year old kid, like, I don't know, burned to death. You know, like, would I really be able to say God is my savior and God is my God and I believe him and I love him. And I think he, he protects us and he gives like, would I believe all of those things? You know, it kind of, yeah. Yeah. What about another thing of a guy put a a gun to your head and says, I'm going to kill you. If you tell me you believe in Jesus Christ, would you actually say you believe in Jesus Christ? Cause that's what happened in Columbine. When that girl, um, you know, the the guy put a gun to her, his, her head and said, I'm going to kill you if you, you tell me you believe in Jesus Christ. So and you would think that faith. God would that if you say yes, you would think God would reward you by scooping the something out there and like creating a miracle where you go invisible or something like you wouldn't expect the story to end with. <laughs> no, so but, but I think my point is because yeah. it's about expectations, right? Exactly. If you are somebody, yeah. if in that moment you are, you have the courage to say, I still believe in God and I will risk my life. My expectation in a logical way is then God will somehow create a miracle and rescue her. Not then. Yeah. So then she died. So then yeah. she got shot and she died. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's some level of, expectation that i have where if god is my sure savior or, and god is maybe good, not even expectation it just might be your understanding of what god, yes. you expect god to do yes. and be and i think like you know if, if that's kind of you know if you're listening right now and you're resonating with what sue is saying then i just think you need to broaden your understanding of who god is because god never promises that he you know he's going to protect you in that way um you know i mean look, think about it jesus died on the cross you know if anyone he should have saved he should have saved him you know, and stuff. And so, you know, we, we have to embrace a theology of an understanding that because we live in a broken world, bad things will happen to us. And it's just part of life. This is in heaven. And when we get to heaven, then we can expect there to be nothing but bliss and, you know, and God and protection and all that kind of stuff. But, but right now, um, in the world in which we live in, there is there, there is darkness that looms and, and there is hard things that happen. And we just have to realize that that's part of it. I think the promise that God gives to us in those moments is that, you know, he'll be present with us. So even with that woman, Casey, who got shot in the, she got a head, you know, brains blasted out. God was still present with her to the very end, you know, um, to the moment she passed. And there are tons of martyrs for their faith. Um, God is present with us in whatever dark periods we go through our lives. And so anyway, yeah. So I I think that's it. But yeah. also God is like super, but like Jesus was also like so patient in that. And I think this is also why I was so confused because I would think if I were Jesus 
And like all of this happened where like you literally heard the voice of God being like this, behold my son who I'm like pleased with. Like you see these things. And then he sends his followers to be like, are you the one? I think if I were Jesus, I'd be like, yo, John, like, come on. Like, why are we back here? Like, you saw what happened to me. Like, bro, like you saw the spirit like descend to me like a dove. Like, but he doesn't do that, right? Like, he doesn't say, John, like, why are you doubting? Like, come on. You know, like he he gives him, he gives him reassurance. Like he says, yeah. tell him, go go tell him what, what I've been doing. Yeah, yep. Tell him that what yep. you've seen and heard, tell him that, you know, the, the, blind are seeing the lame are walking like the yeah. lepers are being healed the you know the deaf are hearing all of this stuff like he's like he doesn't ever say tell like he doesn't ever condemn him or judge him yeah. for his doubt right or saying like what do you yeah. mean like you saw what yeah. you saw and i yeah. think in that you see jesus's empathy and his compassion mm. in the sense that he still meets us where we are i don't think yeah. he expects us to um not doubt. I think that he knows as humans, we are prone to doubting. And I think he meets us. And therein, I think for me lies the reason why I don't, I can recalibrate very quickly is, you know, he says, see and hear, see and hear, like, what have I seen and heard in my own life? Um, And there's so much that I have seen and heard um, mm. in my own walk with Jesus, that it's very difficult. Like, it's not about some esoteric abstract idea of like God, but it's like, what have I in my real life seen? And what have I heard? And what have I, like, what fruit have I seen appear, you know, appear from my walk yeah. with Jesus? And if I remember all of those ways that God has been faithful in my life, I think it's very difficult to then go that th- that way of being yeah. like, no, God can't be real because I've seen too much, you know? Yeah. So, um- um, all I would say is this. Um, I think it's very natural uh, to get to a place where you doubt God. I think that happens in everyone's faith journey. And I would also say, Sua, it happens to, I have friends, uh, unfortunately, because they grew up in the church their whole lives. By the time they became an adult, they just realized, holy smokes, I just believe in this because my mom and dad told me to. God's not real. And they just, they're convinced that he's not real. And so they've kind of walked away from their faith. And the, the sad part of it is that they came to that conclusion on their own in that sense, and they decided to walk away without, I, I think, fully going deeper. And so my, my encouragement to our audience is that if you've doubted God, that's, I think that's a part, and that's, that's potentially an opportunity for you to grow in deeper faith in Jesus Christ. So don't think that that's bad, and don't ignore those voices, you know, or don't ignore those thoughts when you're saying, oh, man, I don't know if God's real. And you go, oh, no, I can't think that because you know what? No, 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 that's not right. That's a sin. I think it's important to engage, you know, with God at whatever place you might be with him. And my encouragement to you is to be very honest and vulnerable with God. And just if, if you're struggling with that, be honest with it. Let him know in your prayer time. Let him know. Have people kind of pray for you and say, you know what? This is I'm actually struggling to believe in God. And and then at the same time, I want to encourage you is to go and to really, um, you know, investigate, search, uh, start thinking it through. Because I think that, you know, when you go through that process, when you start to doubt God, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing, especially if you've been a Christian. I think you're moving from the stage of, you know, you've inherited your faith from your parents, but now you're trying to take ownership of your faith. And taking ownership of your faith is very different, right? Because there's a difference between second, third, fourth generation Christians as opposed to a first-generation Christian. First-generation Christians hardly ever doubt because they've owned their faith, right? They Nobody else told them about this Jesus thing. They encountered Jesus in a very, very powerful way. 
And so, you know, the second, third, fourth generation Christians, there'll come a point where they're going to start doubting because they just kind of grew up in church. They grew up saying that you got to believe in God. And so now they feel like I've been brainwashed. And so I think it's important for you to be honest with that. Go to God in prayer and say, would you please reveal yourself to me and search the scriptures, do your thing, but also investigate, study, study other religions, study everything. And get to a place where you, your encounter with God personally, with your understanding and your readings and things like that, I do believe that it'll it'll match up and it'll come in connection where then your doubt no longer will be there in that sense where you start to really uh, hinder will start to hinder your faith. That would be my encouragement to you because once you once you're able to do that, once you have that encounter with God in that way, then no one can really take that away from you. You know, at that point and like for me, ever since that moment. I just, you know, I'm, I guess because I'm a pastor. So this is what make me unrelatable. I have no doubts that Jesus is real. Like for me, I'm so certain about it. And I remember this, a uh, couple of my friends who aren't Christians was so angry with me because like, you don't doubt, like, how could you believe this thing is real? This is all a makeup story. This is ridiculous. And I just said, no, I don't. Cause I've, I have a personal, I have personal experience with Jesus. So because I connect with him through this Holy spirit, like to me, like you can't tell me that Jesus is not real. And then I remember we did um years ago, Sue, I think you were on staff then. Years ago, um, I just did like a Q&A with just randomly f folks from the church. And I think it was like on a Tuesday night. And so we got together at the office and, you know, somebody asked me, you know, what if aliens is real? If aliens is real, would you doubt Jesus? Would you doubt God? Because, you know, and the Bible just says we were the only By ones the God way, created. I think aliens are real. But anyway, yeah, that's a whole different <laughs> So anyway, um, I just said, you know what? Aliens might be real. I don't know. And he's like, but that wouldn't ruin your faith or hinder your faith. I was like, no, because I have a real encounter. I, I connect with God on the regular. And there is a connection that I have with that. No one could ever tell me that Jesus isn't real. Like, I will never believe it. Like, you can, you know, I mean, I hope you stick a gun to my head and say, Jesus, tell me Jesus is not real. Otherwise, I'm going to kill you. Like, I'm hoping I believe I'm going to be like Casey. I'm like, no, you got to take that away from me because my life here on earth is so short compared to an eternity with him. So there's no way I would trade the years that I have on this earth for the years that I have in eternity. So for me, like, I just believe that in such a deep way. And that's part of the reason why I'm a pastor. Uh, but I do want to encourage our audience that when you're going through hardships, when you're doubting God, um, that's an opportunity for you to grow in deeper faith. If you go to God with your doubts, there's something deeper that can happen. Because look what Jesus did for Thomas, right? In the Bible. Yep. Because yeah. Thomas is like, well, I got to feel until he shows me the scars, until I feel the piercing on his side, I'm not going to believe that he resurrected from the dead. And so what did Jesus do? He says, come here, Thomas, feel this, feel that. Like Jesus meets us in our doubt. And that's what I want you to know. And so doubting God is not necessarily a sin. Mm -hmm. Bring your doubts to Jesus and let him speak. Let him do his thing. And uh, I think that's it. You just have to be open to it. And if you are, I think God will really show himself strong. When you're asking Jesus to prove himself to you, he won't. He will never prove himself to you, right? Because then when you look at the Gospels, the Pharisees kept saying, prove yourself, prove, mm -hmm. prove that you're the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to prove. Jesus has no intentions of proving himself to you because if you cannot believe he's God because of what he's done for you on the cross, then I don't think he needs to prove himself to you anymore. But Jesus loves to reveal himself to you. It's a different posture. When you're asking for proof, it's very different than when you're saying, Jesus, would you please reveal yourself to me? I want to encounter your presence. It's a very different posture. And so go to him and ask, would you reveal yourself to me? Don't say, would you 
you need to prove yourself to me, but would you reveal yourself to me? And I think Jesus has every intentions of revealing himself to us in a very powerful way. But so. I think that's because like, but that's because like people conflate the ideas of doubt with the idea of like unbelief. I think a lot of the Pharisees, they were coming from a place of complete unbelief. And mm -hmm. when they say prove yourself, it's because they don't believe. Like they're basically yeah. trying to condemn Jesus. Like that was their heart. And Jesus knew that because Jesus yeah. could straight into their hearts, right? Yeah. Versus like Thomas, who has gotten a real bad rap because everyone's like, oh, doubting, let's not be a doubting Thomas. But at the end of the day, if you look at the story, you're right. Yeah. Like his doubt actually leads into a deeper encounter, like Absolutely. a deeper reality. Absolutely. This, um, you know, even like this morning I was reading, um, God, I don't even, all the books of John are like blending in, but basically it's still the story. In John, eh? yeah. I'm still in John um, yeah. because we took a detour doing judges, but <laughs> I think it's, I think it's like John, I don't even know which one. It's the one where basically the man, the blind man, Jesus heals the blind man with like the mud and the, you know, uh -huh. and all the Pharisees are trying to like get Jesus because he did it on the Sabbath. Yeah. yeah and there's yeah. this interest, there's this, such an interesting part at the end where basically they're going through all the channels. Like they interview his mom and his mm. dad to be like, is this your son? Yeah. 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 Blind? Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end, basically it's so funny because the blind man like schools the Pharisees. Like he just yeah, schools yeah. them. And he's basically, yep. and then he, at the end, he just leaves it with, you know what? All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. And that's <laughs> all there is to say. And you know, what's so funny is like the difference between a person who's had a personal encounter. Not, yeah. Nobody can take that away from him. Yeah, he was nobody. blind and yep. then Jesus came along yep. and now he yep. can see. Yep. That is his personal yep. testimony yep. versus Absolutely. the Pharisees who were just arguing about the stupid yep. Sabbath because they have not had a personal yeah. encounter. Yeah. You know, um, the doubt piece, I think it reminds me of this illustration, which is so funny because, you know, John used to john used to, had this whole project john's a very project-based guy and he had this whole project where he wanted to grow um plants like vegetation so mm. you know it's cold in ohio in the spring but we got there's a time when you gotta plant your fruits and vegetables or whatever in the garden and so we started it in our basement with these like fake lights he set up this yeah. whole thing where you you plant the seed and then it grows to a certain place and then after that you move them out into the wild because mm. if you don't move them into the actual, you know, outside where there's wind and there's all these elements, mm -hmm. they can't survive. They don't bear yeah. fruit. Um, and actually, even mm. when they're inside, we we blow a fan into them because they need wow. the resistance. Yeah. If wow. you if they don't have resistance, they die. They die wow. before they bear fruit. It's very interesting. I, wow. Another illustration. I had a I had a friend. I know I had a friend who um, bought this fig, fiddle leaf fig tree. You know, it's one of those like super popular like plants mm. in the house. And her plant, like her big, it's like a big plant. It just it was so wobbly. And mm. she's like, "Why won't this take root?" So she called the nursery where she bought this tree, and she was like, "What is wrong with my tree? Like it's so wobbly. Like it won't take root." And the person was like, "Oh, you gotta shake it once in a while. Like you gotta literally grab it and shake it because wow. if you don't shake it, it won't take root." Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's such a wonderful illustration for yeah. us. And especially those yeah. of us that's... who may be seeking or those of us who are raising children who maybe are seeking yeah. and making their faith. They need yeah. the resistance. Like we need yeah. resistance so that we can our faith can take root. If we don't yeah. have resistance, we will never bear fruit because we will never be able to plant down our roots in Jesus enough to actually yeah. get to a place where we can bear fruit. You know, it's like doubts are what forge your faith. It's not yeah. what kills your faith. And I think you're so right when you say the whole story with Thomas and even like the whole posture of like T Thomas wasn't, I don't think, saying like if Jesus was real, I think mm -hmm. he was like, I just want to see, you know, and I think yeah. you're right. Like 
God, Jesus will always reveal himself to us and give us a yeah. personal encounter if we seek him. Um, yeah. And I think the doubt is actually the fuel for it, not yeah. what kills it. You know, yeah. it's actually probably you know ignoring what? the doubt that kills it, probably. Exactly. When you ignore the doubt, I think that's actually going to stifle your faith. And you got to explore it. You got to dig deep. You got to put your doubt under a microscope and you got to kind of let God be a part of it. And, uh, and that's going to be key, you know, and, you know, for me, it's like that personal encounter. No one can take away my personal encounters with Jesus because at the end of the day, I shouldn't be a pastor with a, with a, how I grew up in my home and with my history as a child and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I shouldn't be, there's no way, you know, like my parents moved to New Jersey for one reason. Cause when I was like in Queens, like in the second, third grade, they realized that if I stayed out there, I'd be a part of a gang. Because even as a second, third grader, they saw that I was heading down a real mm -hmm, dark mm -hmm. path. I didn't, I don't fully remember like how I lived, like back in the day, I was so young, but they realized that if he stays here, he's going to be a part of a gang. He's going to get in real big trouble. And so, yeah. So, you know what? We're going to move to Jersey. And so that's kind of why my parents moved to Jersey because they had to get out of Queens because they knew like I, I, I would be up to no good. So, yeah, I just don't think like my encounters with God is so real because I don't think I'd be where I'm at today if it wasn't for him. Um, and I don't think I'd be able to, you know, find deliverance from a lot of these addictive, sinful practices that I used to have um, if it wasn't for God. So for me, it's like, you can't tell me he's not real. Like he's totally real. So I don't have any doubts there, but you got to bring your doubts to God. Um, I think if you can do that, uh, he's going to really meet you in a deep way. And so um, don't ignore it. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. But be honest about it. And parents, if I can just give you um, a word of advice, because my kids are pretty much all adults. Um, really, from a young age, uh, start praying that they would grow up and take ownership of their faith. Like there, you can never pray that too too early. I think if you pray it too late, you're going to miss your window. And so, like, start praying even now, because your kids, you know, they're they're going to church. You see, like, they love Jesus. Like, oh, this is great, you know. But I'm telling you, when they start becoming of adult age and teenage years, everything starts competing with their faith. And so one of the things you can do at an early age when they're young is just pray, God, would they have a personal encounter where they take ownership of their faith? Let it be their faith. Let it never just be you know, their mother or father's faith. I just don't think there's uh, a time frame. You don't want to wait too late because if you wait too long and then they're already adults and you're starting to pray that prayer, it might be too late. You know, you might have lost them. So start young, start young, um, even though they might have vibrant faith at their age. But I'm telling you, once they become older, things happen and uh, and they change, right? And they have more independence. And so once they have more independence, you just never know what they're going to do with that. And so it's important that we pray that they would start taking ownership of their faith at a young age. And that's been, you know, for all my three kids. And, you know, I think for Christina, I think she is taking ownership of her faith. You know, for Kayla and Christian, I think it's still a process. If I'm just going to be very honest and vulnerable, I think it's still a process for them. And they're trying to, especially, I know Kayla is, now that she's at, you know, she's, um, you know, in school by herself. But, you know, she is trying to find her faith in a deep way. And I'm hoping that she will continue to and she'll take full ownership of it, ownership of it. And Christian, you know, it's a matter of what's going to happen when he goes to college. And so, yeah, anyway, so I would just encourage you guys uh, for that. Uh, there's never time uh, too early for you to start praying that your kids would take ownership of their faith. And I think that would be a beautiful thing. So anyway, any last parting words that you have, Sua? You know, it's interesting is like I think about... Um my kids going to college in a distant future. 
Um, and if they told me that like they didn't want to go to church anymore, no, I mean, like they, yeah. you know, it's it's funny because for a lot of parents who send their kids off to college, their worst nightmare, okay, not like worst nightmare, but one of the worst nightmares is like they'll stop going to church, right? It's like yeah. I'm gonna send them off and they're gonna stop going to church. Um, and I hear where they're coming from because I think it would be very sad for me too if I sent my kids away and they just stopped going to church. But then, you know, now that I'm 40 and I've seen the different ways people's faiths work or don't work, I have met so many people who go to church. This is, I'm trying to be like not super um, like controversial when I say this. I have met a lot of people at church who sometimes I really wonder like, have you actually had an encounter with Jesus mm-hmm. or do you just, mm-hmm. are you just at church? And, you yeah. know, I think maybe some of our motivations and wanting our kids to stay in church are pure. I think some of our motivations may also be, we think God's going to punish them if they mm. don't go to church mm. or something, or if they do go to church, God will reward them yeah. with like a good job or like good yeah. grades. And, yeah. you know, what is it that we are banking on by making yeah. sure our kids stay yeah. in church? Yeah, I would hope that, um, I have enough faith in my relationship with Jesus and the prayers that I have prayed for my kids that if they decide that they're going to leave church for a time being, hopefully for a time being, because they're really trying to solidify their faith, I would allow them to do that. Because, oh, yeah. you know, being in church is not a guarantee for having a personal encounter with Jesus. Going to church is great. It's very important. It's essential and not a negotiable. But if a person, especially a teenager, or a young adult is in the stages of searching, forcing them to go to church because you think it's the right thing to do is not really gonna, I think, if anything, it's gonna probably, like you said, stifle their faith because now it becomes a lot more about what you expect for them than what they want with Jesus, right? And so maybe that's like a very scary thing for me to say out there Mm. and it's gonna come bite me in the butt in like eight years. No, it's important. But I think people increasingly now with the younger generations, their trust in establishments is so low that to force them to go to church when they are doubting, I think really might have the count like a counter um, effective like consequence. Absolutely. I I think so. And um, you you have to let them explore. You have to give them the freedom because you can't control this. You can't control them and force them to be a follower of Jesus. They have to do that on their own. And so like my prayer journal for this morning, I just prayed for all three of my children. I just said, you know, this is how I think, you know, uh, we can take ownership of our faith. And this is when I believe you really take an ownership of your faith is when you hunger for the presence of Jesus in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I pray for all three of my kids. I just say, God, would you just please, please show them or give them a hunger for your presence. That's all I want for them. I don't want anything else, but that these three would truly hunger and long for your presence in their life. And uh, and I hope, I hope that they all would say, if you've ever asked them outside of me being with them, do you think your dad hungers for God's presence? Have you seen that in the house? Like, have you seen him as you've been growing up? Have you seen him hunger for the presence of God? And I'm hope I'm hoping they can say yes because they can always say no. But I hope I could, I I would have been a decent model for them to see, you know, hey, dad does hunger for the presence of God. And, but my hope and my prayer for them and parents, if you want to ask more than just what does it mean for them to take ownership of their faith, just pray that they would hunger for the presence of God, for the hunger, for the presence of Jesus Christ. And if you can pray for that and, and really ask God to do that, then that's when I think our kids, I'm hoping he'll answer that prayer. 
and our kids will start taking ownership of their faith. So it's just a little, little tidbit there, but please, if you have doubts, it's important for you to explore that, invite Jesus to be a part of it because the encounter I think you're going to have with God uh, will be a game changer and, uh, and will really help you um, not only deal with the doubt, but really help you in your life as you journey with God. So if you have any questions, any thoughts, any doubts, anything like that you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear from you. Sue and I actually really do love to hear from you. So you can either reply on the comments section of our posts, uh, or you can send us an email at uh, peter at weekpasser.org or sua at weekpasser.org. You can get all that information at weekpasser.org. So I just want to thank you so much for listening. Please, hopefully you'll tune in again next week. Take care. Bye.